it earlier, um, but after we, we have a little, spend some time in the Word of God together. In fact, I invite you to join me in Ephesians 4.32. And as you're turning there, uh, after we have spent some time here in Ephesians 4.32, uh, we are going to transition to a special business meeting. Uh, it was announced three weeks ago. Uh, we've continued to announce it this evening. Uh, looking forward to presenting Jordan Hines before you as a candidate for uh, internship here at Altoona Regular Baptist Church starting, uh, I guess, next week, the new year. So, wow, that's crazy. Uh, so we will do that at the end. Um, but first, I want to turn our attention to Ephesians 4, 32. Ephesians 4, 32, which says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening, we confess our sins. We confess the great debt that we have. And yet we rejoice that God in Christ has forgiven us. We rejoice that even as the song goes, even though our sins are great, his mercy is more. Heavenly Father, we pray that even as we look at this passage this evening, that we would rejoice in your grace and your mercy and in your forgiveness. And then that we would extend that to one another. Perilous name of Jesus Christ, amen. This evening, I want to bring our theme for the year kind of to a close. Our theme for this last year was one another. And really, we could kind of, if we wanted to, we could keep going another two years or so on one another. There's lots of one another passages. But to bring it to a close, I want to come to this passage, Ephesians 4.32, probably one of the most well-known one another's. Probably one of the first ones that you heard as a child and that was repeated to you over and over and over if your house was anything like mine. Constantly reminded to be kind. That's what God says, be kind to one another. And yet, that's one of those imperatives that we tend to forget as we get older. Be ye kind. As we've worked our way through the one another passages, rather than kind of just jumping around the New Testament looking at all the passages that say one another, we actually started in Romans 12 back in January, you may remember. And we walked from Romans 12 to 13 to 14 to 15. And we looked at that passage. There in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We talked about what that means. How that is built off of all of the doctrine of Romans uh, 1 through 11. Everything that Paul has laid out. This, this great salvation that God has given us. And based on that, this is how you should respond. And then it goes from those first two verses there in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Into taking that great doctrine of salvation. The fact that we are in Christ. And then it applies that to all of our relationships. What does that look like to one another? What does that look like to brothers in Christ? What does that look like to those who aren't brothers in Christ, who don't believe? What does that look like in how we relate to one another in terms of the government? 
And how, what does that look like in terms of how we relate to those we disagree with? And so we walked through all of those passages there in Romans 12 uh, through 15. This evening I thought it would be appropriate to come here to this well-known passage to kind of bring it all to a close. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Context of Ephesians 4, uh, here in verse 32 specifically, we find ourselves in the middle uh, of an exposition of Paul where he's, it basically starts in verse, chapter 4, verse 25 and goes through chapter 5, verse 2. And there are lots of imperatives in here. Do this, don't do this. And the foundation to all of that, why should we act this way and why should we not act this way? The foundation of all of that is who we are in Christ. Our new identity in Christ. One commentator said this, this in essence, so this passage, Ephesians 4.32, this verse that comes right in the middle of 4.25 through 5.2. This in essence lies at the heart of the theme of this passage. The theme which is found in chapter 5 verse 2, walk in love. What does it look like to walk in love? It looks like Ephesians 4.32. And so we're going to walk through that this evening. And as we turn to Ephesians 4.32, we're actually going to do something a little different. We're going to start at the end of the verse. This is the foundation to this verse of everything in here. God in Christ forgave you. God in Christ forgave you. Right there from the very beginning, it tells us that the audience to whom Paul is writing here is believers. You have been forgiven. You've placed your faith in Christ. You've found salvation. He's writing to those who have been, specifically here in Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. You have been forgiven. God in Christ forgave you. Really, that is the foundation to all of the imperatives that Paul gives us in this passage. Specifically, what we see here in Ephesians 4.32. I think Paul specifically puts it at the end there, because it almost comes across as, as shocking when you're reading it for the first time. Yes, I know I should be kind. Yes, I know I should be tenderhearted. Yes, I know I should forgive others as God forgave me. That is shocking. That is radical. It is extreme. God's forgiveness. But we know the verse so well. I think we so quickly just fly through it. So I want to start there this evening. And hopefully, by reversing it, it will have the same impact that Paul initially intended for it. God in Christ forgave you. This is the foundation. And really, there's three parties that you see in here. There is the guilty, there is the father, and there is the son. Who are the guilty? It is you and it is me. It is the believers in Ephesus. As Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You might say, well, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. I mean, I might try to hide it publicly, but I know in my heart, in my mind, I know my thoughts, I know my struggles, I, I know if you're here this evening, you're like probably pretty likely to understand that. I know that I am a sinner. 
And yet the shocking part of this verse is not just that you are a sinner, it is how serious that sin charge against you is. Because yes, Romans 3.23 tells us for all have sinned, but Romans 6.23 goes on to build on that and say, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, the wages of all sin. Romans 6.23 doesn't say, for the wages of murder and adultery and um, any other big sin that you can think of is death. Everything else is a slap on the wrist. It says the wages of sin. All sin. Every sin. No matter how old you are or how young you are. No matter how bad you think your sin is or someone else thinks your sin is. All sin condemns because it is against a holy God. Your sin is against a holy, eternal God, and it deserves a holy and an eternal, a fully and an eternal damnation. We are guilty, and the charges are serious. The second party we see in this verse is the Father. He is the one who has been wronged. He is the one whose just wrath must be poured out against sin. And yet he is the one who forgave. God in Christ forgave you. This God that you have wronged, this God who justly could condemn you for your sin, he has forgiven you. In fact, Romans 5.9, I invite you to turn over there with me. Verse you probably know well. Says this, starting in verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, or by him from the wrath of God. That wrath that we rightly deserve. We are guilty. We have offended and sinned against the Father, holy God, eternal. But in here, there's also the Son. See, the Father forgave us, but the Father is just as the Son is just. God cannot just overlook our sin. He cannot just close his eyes or turn away, pretend it didn't happen. Sin must be dealt with. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the one who died God in Christ forgave you. God didn't just forgive you. He forgave you in Christ. How did he do that? Well, we know the gospel, do we not? Even this last few weeks, we've been focusing on Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, as God himself took on flesh, as he suffered and died for us. He took my penalty, my sin, my debt, and he paid it. Total forgiveness of my infinite, unpayable debt. You know that parable in Matthew 18, 21 to 35, that pictures this so well, where the servant has this debt that that he could not pay back in a thousand lifetimes. 
And the king forgives him. And as he walks out, he finds someone who, who deserves just a slap on the wrist. Someone who owes him just, just a few pennies. And yet he condemns that guy. Sends him to jail. How can someone who's been forgiven so much hold a grudge against a brother who's done so little? In fact, what is shocking in this passage is that the Father not only forgave your sin, but he took steps to ensure it even when you were still his enemy. His forgiveness goes so far beyond anything. Not only has he forgiven a debt that we could never pay, he is the one who initiated it. He's the one who pursued me when I was running from him, when I was his enemy. He loved me. God in Christ forgave you. May we never just read over that passage. May we never, may those five words never just roll off our backs. May they shock us, bring us to our knees, cause us to cry out and worship to our great God who has forgiven us such a great debt. So as I said, that fact, God in Christ forgave you, that is the foundation of this verse. So therefore, as Paul says, even as, because of all that you have been forgiven of, what is the imperative? There's three phrases here. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another. Kind to one another, be tenderhearted to one another, forgive one another. They're all connected. They all flow out of one another. They culminate in forgiveness. Be kind. I don't think I need to sit here and extend a lot of time explaining what it means to be kind. We know what it means to be kind. Our kids know what it means to be kind. From the time that they were small. Be kind. Really, verse 32 stands in contrast to verse 31. So verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you among, uh, along with all malice. This is what not to do. So then verse 32, what to do? Instead of having bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice, instead of that, be kind to one another. It's in contrast to the bitterness and the anger and the jealousy of verse 31. Kindness is not just actions or smiles in someone's face. We can all do that. We can all fake a smile. We can all do a kind act even when our heart is full of hate. Kindness is a choice. It's a disposition towards someone free from all bitterness and free from all ulterior motives and free from all gossip after the fact. Be kind. Have an attitude toward one another of kindness. Give one another the benefit of the doubt. It's a simple command, and we teach our children at a young age, and we repeat it often, and yet more churches have probably died from lack of kindness, specifically in America than have been shut down by any outside pressure or tyranny. Because we cannot be kind. 
The word tender-hearted, it's kind of the, the kind of kindness. In fact, in, in case you don't understand what Paul means by be kind, he kind of gives, in this way, be tender-hearted to one another. It's the idea of compassion. We know the idea of tender, right? If you've ever had an injury, it's, it's tender. If you ever had a bruise, a dark bruise, right? When I used to see those on my brother, I'd go up and I'd push him when he wasn't looking. They're tender. They hurt. It's a soft spot. It's a place that you pay extra attention to, that you are well aware of. Have that mindset towards one another, a mindset of compassion, of tenderness. I am going to be gentle with you. I am going to be kind to you. Tenderhearted is knowing who you can joke about certain things with and who you can't. <laughs> Some people you can joke about uh, how they look or whatever. Some people, that's very offensive. Be tenderhearted. Understand that. Take the time to think through this. That's what tenderhearted, it's not just being kind, but being mindfully kind. Being aware, having a soft spot for one another. And it all culminates in this last one, forgiving. Forgiving. Forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. It is a willingness, a readiness, not just to forgive, but to yourself start on the road to forgiveness. To yourself start pursuing forgiveness. If you feel you have wronged someone, don't wait till they come to you. You go to them. If you feel that you have been wronged, be willing to go to them in kindness and in compassion and say, I I'm assuming you didn't mean it this way, but it hurt. And I'm going to be honest, I'm struggling with bitterness. Can you forgive me? And I'm sure that if they are walking in kindness and tenderheartedness, willing to forgive, they will say, I am so sorry. We should have this mindset, this willingness, this readiness towards one another. Pursue being a kind, compassionate, and for, being kind, compassionate, and forgiving with others as God is with you. Now, this is not the focus of this passage, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time here. The focus of this passage is on everyday dealing with one another. But there are times, and it is not not kind, there are times when you need to be brutally honest with someone. When you need to sit down and you need to say, I see the sin in your life. It is not kind to ignore that sin. And there are many other passages that deals with how we deal with those kind of things with one another. And you should be mindful of that and you should pay attention to those. And we should deal with one another's sin. Biblically, there are times to confront that is not unkind. But have a heart of kindness and tenderheartedness, forgiving one another. And really, this simple verse that we've known from when we were children really sums up the entire theme of our year. One another. What does it look like to live together with one another in Christ? 
It's Ephesians 4.32. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Even as. That is a comparison that knows no bounds. There are no bounds at the end of the grace of God. It knows no limits. So as Peter asked, Lord, how often should I forgive? Seventy times seven. Endlessly. Because God's grace for you has no end, no limits. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. With that, we are going to transition at this time. Let me see. I'm going to ask Jordan Hines if he would come forward.